Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lucy. I'm the webinar host, and this is Microsoft Accessibility. And I'm, first of all, going to give the CEU code. The opening CEU code for this session is 00587. Again, that's 00587. So now let's turn it over to our facilitator, Megan Lawrence from Microsoft. Lucy, thank you so much. And everybody who has joined the session here today, thank you for taking the time. Um, as Lucy said, my name is Dr. Megan Lawrence. I am a white woman with dark curly hair wearing uh, black glasses and a multicolor striped uh, dress today. Um, I am the Director of Accessibility Evangelism and Intersectionality. Now, you may be asking yourself, that's quite a title. So we are going to dig in a little bit more around what it is that we are doing here at Microsoft as we really grow our commitment to accessibility and our new five-year strategy. I'm also the co-lead of employees with mental health conditions through our disability employee resource group. Now, I don't think anybody here would contest that the pandemic has been uh, an event that we will all remember throughout our lives. And the reality is, is that people with mental health conditions is the largest disability community and the fastest growing disability community. And we recognize that mental health is at the intersectionality of many other types of disabilities, such as blind and low vision, uh, deaf and hard of hearing, mobility disabilities, learning disabilities, as you can imagine. So today I'm actually going to talk about uh, a few different topics than maybe you were expecting when you first came in, which is first, let's talk about that five-year strategy. What is Microsoft up to? What are we really leaning into over the next five years? And then I want to turn to mental health and really talk about where we're at, who we are as a society, and how we're thinking about technology as we move forward. Uh, that really takes into consideration mental health and well-being. Now, if you're excited to learn more about Microsoft products specifically for the blind and low vision community, such as Narrator and Magnifier and all of the great work that's being done in Office and Teams, please do join my colleagues at later sessions to really lean in for more of a technical look at some of those tools. Today, we're really going to look at that overview, that umbrella, and really understand where we're going as we move forward. Now, you know, there's several lessons and we probably all could uh, talk for hours about what we've learned during the pandemic. Um, but a few things that really come to mind for me is that it's clear the community is more important than ever. Um, we recognize, at least I do, I want to be part of something bigger than just myself. And so my family community, my friend community are certainly really important. Communities like ACB in which we're supporting, checking in on, on one another and recognizing that we in and of ourselves provide the kind of support that we need, but also our work communities. And so I think we all um, have had the experience in which technology is playing a larger role than ever in helping us stay connected, whether that's through employment, going to school and education, or simply making sure that we continue to have the kind of conversations that we want with our friends and family and extended communities. But our technology 
has to reflect the communication that so many of us desire. And it's not always video conferencing. (laughs) Sometimes it's chat. Sometimes it's emojis. Um, You know, we really need to think and recognize the gamut in which we converse as a society and make sure that we are providing diversity so that people can explain and express themselves through a variety of ways. Uh, we just came out earlier today. I'm not gonna, uh, not kidding you. I was just reading uh, LinkedIn before I joined and Microsoft has put out a new set of emojis. So if you're a person uh, that really loves to express themselves uh, through other means such as uh, characters or emojis, you do go and check some of those out. They're accessible. They've got great disability representation. And oftentimes it can be a way to express oneself when maybe we are finding it hard to explain where we're at through a conversation. Now, we have seen an incredible increase in demand as we think about accessibility over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, This shouldn't be surprising because so many of us have had to shift to this online world. Um, In some senses, this has been incredibly great for the first time, something that the disability community has been asking for, such as being able to work remotely or gain access to education remotely, has finally come to fruition. It's also been frustrating because, first of all, why weren't we given these kinds of opportunities before? And I will tell you, as a person with a disability, it feels like once able-bodied people recognized uh, the the desire to have more flexibility, somehow it became true. But I call that a COVID silver lining because this is about growth in what we understand about societal inclusion. And so sometimes we need to push and pull and begin to bring people along on the journey so that we begin to see how people with disabilities provide the strength and provide the innovation and really that foresight into the future of what we really can begin to think and understand understand as we move forward. Sometimes it's also frustrating uh, because we want tools to be more accessible. And so I can tell you that Microsoft has really leaned in to think about how is it that we continue to really uh, press and push that boundary of what's possible. So again, really think about tuning in for Jeff Petty and some of the others when it comes to looking at our tools. But you, uh, it's been just really incredible uh, to see some of the volume increase in the tools that we already have. Um, if some of you who are low vision may have used Immersive Reader, which is the ability to customize text and have text read out loud to you, um, and that has increased 560%. When it comes to our disability answer desk, which is our free IT um, helpline or um, line in which we're providing everybody the opportunity to to gain access, not only to support, but also to provide us with the types of technology and the features and the tools that you want to see coming down the road. This is incredibly critical. That has increased 200%. So I'm here to say thank you. Thank you for lending your voice. Thank you for continuing to help press 
and, and make sure that feedback is coming in around how we create better tools that serve your needs, that serve the blind and low vision communities needs. So don't stop. (laughs) We may be thinking about doing more things in person these days, uh, but I do hope that we continue to see that feedback coming in and that you continue to keep us honest. You continue to push uh, innovation in our own products through your voice because your voice is critical to everything that we do. Now, as we begin to think about our new commitment to um, to disability at Microsoft, I think we have to take a hard look and just recognize that the disability divide is widening, right? So the disability divide is this gap in societal inclusion that we see for people with disabilities, right? Including access to education, employment, and technology, being able to live the quality of life that you want and have freedom to make the choices in the way that you deserve. And so in understanding that, I think we've begun to recognize that we have to go even deeper. And so we're really looking at three main areas in our new commitment. The first one hopefully will not surprise you. It is technology, right? We want to create affordable technology that is truly accessible by design. And we want to think about cultural competency. How do we make sure that our products are truly useful for people at the intersectionality of disability and diverse identity, such as race, LGBTQIA+, other chronic conditions, veterans, um, and many other types of identities. The second piece is really about talent development. The world is changing. The world of work is changing. The way we educate and really think about gaining new skills is changing. And so we're leaning in to make sure that we have great uh, skilling and reskilling that's totally accessible, that we're really partnering with the disability community to make sure that we're providing them in the ways that will be um, available to everyone, um, as well as thinking about education in and of itself. And so we're looking really at how we can support universities to create accessible lighthouses, I would call them, right? So centers of excellence where students with disabilities know that they can have uh, not only access to classroom and coursework, but really that full experience that you have at a university, which is very cultural. The third piece or the third pillar is really all about workplace culture. So we recognize that Microsoft, like every company, is on a journey. We do not do everything perfect, correct. We continue to learn. We continue to iterate. But that's the whole point, is that we lean in further, to be honest, to learn from the employees that we have within our own company, making sure that the workplace is not only inclusive of people with disabilities, but that the tools that we use inside like being able to mark when you're going on vacation are truly accessible as well. So we've got a great new team that's leaning in to really understand how we continue to drive inclusive workplace within Microsoft. Because I think for most people, technology makes things easier, right? But for people with disabilities, technology actually makes things possible for us. And so we have to recognize that technology is incredibly important to the way that we live in modern society. And I also say that technology 
is truly the way in which we are going to create a more inclusive society. It's really that backbone, right? Couple of interesting pieces of information. And forgive me if you've heard this already, but I truly believe it's worth talking about over and over again, which is what is the business case for hiring people with disabilities? And the Accenture research shows that organizations that hire, retain, and promote, by the way, people with disabilities make 28% higher revenue on average. Diversity is important. Diversity in thought, diversity in lived experience is what really makes an organization strong. And so we really want to be able to be the company that provides the type of technology and tools that allow everybody to be hired and to do the job that they want to do uh, because technology, again, makes things possible. Okay, so I want to dig into each one of those three pillars just a little bit more to flesh out exactly some of the programs that we're going to be working on. So the first one, all right, coming back to technology, accessible by design. Uh, I just love that term, right, which is don't wait till you've made the thing. Don't wait till you're fixing bugs. Like, how do we get ahead of this? How do we really honestly start thinking about the way that we create technology? And so the first is really thinking about a new bar of accessibility within our key products and with our key partners. And so we are doubling down on making sure that Office is accessible. If you haven't seen or heard of Accessibility Insights, which is our accessibility checking tool, it's really giving people the opportunity to take that first pass. Is your website accessible? Is your application accessible? Now, again, we know that automated tools will never find all of the accessibility errors. It's critical that people with disabilities using assistive technology are part of that system. But we want to give people that first leg up to say, if you don't know if it's accessible, I'm telling you, it's not. So check. Let's start thinking about this. We're also really leaning into GitHub. GitHub is an organization that is a repository for code. It is a place where developers host code and share code. Let's make sure that that code is accessible. I love the, hey, I'm the first person that's going to say, I am not afraid to say, I will take great material from other people and use it again. So let's take great code from people around the world, but let's make sure that code is accessible. And perhaps even more importantly, let's make sure that our blind and low vision developers have full access to the platform so that they can take advantage of all of the wealth that we see within the GitHub environment and ecosystem. Probably the most fun piece, if we're going to go fun, right, we might as well talk about Xbox, which is everybody's favorite. And so they're really focusing on making it easier uh, to play games. And they have just launched a new uh, initiative or really community, I would call it, of uh, gamers with disabilities. And so you can get early looks at new games. We are actively asking for feedback uh, from players who are blind or low vision. What do you love? What annoys you? How can we improve the system? But I think to me, the really key here is how do we foster a new group or a growing group, or it's not new, a growing group of people within the disability community that are making games, right? I want more blind and low vision game makers. 
because that's really where I think innovation comes in and gets pretty exciting. The second piece within technology is really about increasing access and affordability. We know that many people don't have access to the technology that they need. Literally, I'm talking about hardware, computers, right? Uh, In order to join us at an event like we are at here today. So we're launching a new low-cost assistive technology fund, or sorry, a new initiative that provides affordable broadband, rather, and devices to people with disabilities, because you got to have both of those parts. You have to have the hardware, and then you have to make sure that you've got that access, because so much of assistive technology relies more and more heavily on an internet connection. And so we want to make sure that those pieces are there together. Now, we are starting in two locations. I know you say two, but we just want to get our feet underneath us. So we're starting in New York and L.A. with plans to grow over time. And that one is particularly exciting to me because we're partnering with another group at Microsoft called uh, the Broadband Team. And so even within our own organization, we're helping other groups at Microsoft recognize the impact that they can have on people with disabilities when they begin to focus on societal inclusion and again, closing that disability divide. Now, the other piece that we're launching is a new low-cost assistive technology fund within the AI for Accessibility program. So uh, this is our uh, five-year grant program where we're really looking at how we can uh, push the ways in which uh, AI is used to break down barriers uh, and provide more opportunity for people with disabilities through tech development. And so we really honed in and said, okay, this is great, but technology, literally assistive technology has got to be affordable. Um, And so we're leaning in. So if you've got great ideas, (laughs) if you want to be part of this cool initiative, please go make sure you check out our AI for accessibility website. I think there's a lot of very interesting moments in which we want to see the disability community, such as this ACB community, come together with startups, with researchers at universities, uh, with even Microsoft scientists to say, you know, let's make something that's relevant. Let's make something that solves real issues within the disability community and provides new opportunity. Um, Okay, last piece within uh, the technology sector is really thinking about that research component. Um, and data. Hard truth is we live in a disability data desert. We just don't know enough about people with disabilities to ensure that our data sets are inclusive. And AI relies on data in order to provide its service, right? So we are uh, continuing our investment to to dedicate research teams to advancing not only human-computer interaction, but really addressing this data desert. And there's, frankly, hard questions that we have to continue to ask ourselves, which is, how do we collect data from the disability community in an ethical way, in a way in which you lend your voice, but you have privacy and security in place? Me, being a person with a mental health disability, I know that it comes with bias and stigma, but at the same time, I'm keen to make sure that software that uses AI truly understands what it's like for somebody with anxiety who gets distracted easily. You know, when you send me a message with a big red blinking, you know, look at me right now, and it's a picture of your cat, that's not appropriate. (laughs) 
So we're really leaning in and thinking about all disabilities and how we move that forward. Okay, second pillar, talent development. Not going to lie, this one's my favorite. Uh, This is really about how we are ensuring that we've got people with disabilities in our business communities. Um, So the first one is, you know, investing in inclusive education. Um, I mentioned this one earlier because this is an initiative that, that I'm leading up. I'm a former academic, so I have a deeply uh, soft place in my heart um, for figuring out not only how do we ensure people with disabilities have access to the uh, higher education, but how do we retain that talent? And how do we even think about making sure people are you know, moving into research fields to, again, push we, nothing about us without us. We have to continue to be representative of things within the academic realm as well. So we funded seven universities uh, to really uh, go in and look at themselves and say, how do we become better at inclusive uh, university? Everything from technology in the classroom to making sure people have a college experience that is rich and filled with community and that you and I and everyone with disabilities has the opportunity to translate uh, and transfer into jobs that they care about, that they want to be in. The second one is creating job opportunities. So LinkedIn, um, you know, is building new accessibility resources and features aimed at job, creating job opportunities. And I think that's critical. Um, This is really where modern job searching and modern job, you know, um, hiring is taking place. And so we need to be thoughtful and super intentional about making sure that people with disabilities are being connected with the right hiring managers, with the right companies based on your skill set and based on your interests and desires. And if you need to learn a new skill, that's the whole point of that skilling initiative is to say, let's help you get skilled up in something that's maybe new to you. Um, We're also designing accessible curriculum. Uh, So we're working with Teach Access, which some of you may know, to make sure that we can embed accessibility into STEM education like computer science so that every computer science student comes out with a really good baseline knowledge of how to create accessible technology. Last but not least (laughs) is the growing awareness of using digital technology. So this project is being uh, headed up by Hector Minto, who is my counterpart in the UK. I love it. It's so novel. It's brilliant. It seems so simple. Why have we not been doing this before? But we're actually providing digital accessibility training to caretakers. So making sure that if you have a personal aid, if you have caretakers that are in the home for you or for others in your family and friend network, that they understand digital technology, that they can help set up people with disabilities to use technology to really create the kind of environment that works for them. Okay, so I've talked about technology. I've talked about talent development. I've got one more pillar to go before we move into a little bit of mental health which is workplace culture. So again, we continue to learn from employees with disabilities. So we have a new team. It's called, or a a team within our team. (laughs) It's called the Employee Experience Accessibility in Team. And it's really leaning in and engaging with employees to say, how do we improve our internal tools? 
Uh, how do we improve and ensure every website that is internal facing is accessible? Training, content, physical environment, and even our supplier relationships. People laugh at me sometimes, but I think procurement is one of the most profound places where great change can take place. If every business, every organization said, we will not buy your product, service, or technology unless it is accessible, things could change overnight. So this is a place where I'm really proud to say that we're leaning in and really asking our 30,000, literally 30,000 vendors at Microsoft to say, you have to show up and be accessible. Um, Not an easy task, uh, not one that we're going to solve overnight, but an initiative that I do believe is foundational to, again, closing the disability divide. Um, We are also uh, creating um, accessible and inclusive spaces and tools. So we are renovating uh, our own campus. Um, We are currently not fully returned uh, to work, but that will be happening in the future, we do hope. And we have invested in creating the most accessible campus not only that we've ever created, but secretly we hope in the whole world. I don't know, is this being recorded? Um, But no, in all honesty, we really want to take a hard look at what does it mean to have the most accessible campus experiences for people who are blind and low vision, people who with mobility disabilities who use mobility aids. I mean, think about the opportunity to really create a space in which people feel welcome in a way that perhaps we haven't previously felt welcome Um, And really, uh, you know, the ability to empower our customers and partners to do the same thing. Much like I say about procurement, we're not going to create an inclusive society by ourselves. It's the collective. It's really the opportunity of all of the business and the NGO and the small business communities to come together to really create and set precedent for what we desire our future to look like. So accessibility is more important than ever in my mind. And I think we're at a time in which we have the opportunity to really push the conversation in a way in which people can begin to see the opportunities as not a have to do, not a nice to do, but as a modernization. This is who we are. Uh, You know, get on board. The train is leaving. Um, Now, we've been at these conferences for a number of years. You know, Microsoft's been investing in accessibility for 20 plus years. Um, But I think in my mind, the the real key happened, you know, when Jenny Lee Fleury came on board as our chief accessibility officer six years ago. Man, it's hard to believe it's been six years. Um, But really brought together our engineering excellence with the disability community, both inside of our company through our employee resource groups and our external community, like through uh, ACB, and said, how do we drive innovation by bringing together these two components? Um, And so we really think of accessibility, you know, as a business. Uh, We do this because this is how we honestly drive the kind of change we want to see. And so we personally use an an evolution model. We call it the Microsoft evolution model, um, where we are looking across seven dimensions on a scale of one to five. So one is initial, two is repeatable, three is defined, four is managed, five is optimized. And we look at ourselves every single quarter 
uh, really truthfully and say, well, where are we? Right. And first of all, we are not at a five on anything. So please do not get me wrong. We are on this journey just as much as anybody is, but we're looking at vision, strategy, and engagement finances and investments. Do we have the right people in the right roles to make sure that we're making good on our new five-year strategy? Developmental life cycle, we're a tech company, design accessible. Next is uh, sales, marketing, and PR. Are we telling authentic stories about people with disabilities who use our technology? Do we have representation? Do you see yourselves in the way that we talk about our company? Training support and tools, making sure that we are creating, again, that ecosystem of support for all of you. Procurement, I know, I've already gone off about procurement. (laughs) And then people and culture. I mean, it all starts with people. So let's take a little bit of a deep dive there first. Many of you know we've had an inclusive hiring program for for some time. Uh, We are expanding the autism hiring program to be a neurodiversity program. We are having more ability hiring events where we're looking at talent across the disability spectrum, especially in the blind and low vision community, um, and really making sure that we're creating um, a process in which people um, have great interview experiences. The second is mandatory training. Everybody at Microsoft takes 40 minutes of disability inclusion and accessibility training. Now, you might say to yourself, uh, sure, yeah, of course. This is actually, in some senses, really profound, which is to say we're asking people to take almost an hour out of their lives every year to think about what inclusion means, because inclusion is a verb. It is what you do. And are you every single day actively creating an environment in which people with disabilities not only feel psychologically safe, but feel like they can succeed? And to me, that's a really big deal. Again, being a person with a mental health disability, psychological safety does not come easy. And so it's something that we lean in and have to think about as we move forward. The third is employee resource groups, right? We've had these for 15 years Uh, We actually have 22, 25, maybe now, different discussion groups. And to me, the exciting piece here is how we're actually coming together. So the mental health, the disability ERG is coming together with BAM, which is Blacks at Microsoft, or with GLEAM, which is our LGBTQIA plus community, our veterans community, our uh, Hispanic community, our indigenous community, to say Disability is across all of these different, uh, you know, different groups. And so how do we begin to understand what is important about the intersection of disability and diverse identity? And so that's some of the work that my team is really taking on now, which is beginning to understand how we ask questions. I'll be honest with you, we're just getting started. I don't have a great full-fledged talk track for you today around what intersectionality ultimately will look like as we move forward. But I think the important piece is that we've stopped, we're listening, and we're asking questions about how we create better experiences for people with disabilities and diverse identities. Because none of us are just a person with a disability, right? We are men, we are women, we are queer We are dog moms. We are human moms. We are fill in the blank. What does your identity look like? My husband would kill me if I didn't say a Steelers fan. 
Now, those of you out there that are rolling your eyes, even sports make up part of our identity. And so we think it's important that we stop pretending that it's just disability. Or maybe we have never really just pretended that, but we haven't been openly really talking about it, I suppose, at least not in these kinds of forums. And so I'm eager to hear your thoughts and begin to think about the way that we do that. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I want to hear from all of you. Now we're going to get started. We can't boil the ocean. That's a classic saying, right? So we're going to get started by really looking at mental health very specifically, uh, because again, mental health is one of those places that cuts across disability types. It cuts across identity types. Um, you know, we all have mental health um, and mental health, it, you know, impacts us all on, on a spectrum. So you may be a, a person like me with a permanent uh, mental health disability you may be experiencing a temporary mental health symptoms because of the pressure of COVID, taking care of an ill family member, being a teacher uh, over the last year to young students. There are so many reasons and so many variables in our life in which we may feel mental health symptoms on a temporary basis. But let's be real. This is also about situational basis, right? There are situations within our lives that can be incredibly stressful um, that we may shy away from or we may have to take on, uh, which can uh, lead to mental health symptoms. So again, we really think of this as just the human experience, right? Um, and let's be honest, you know, people do have mental health concerns from time to time. And I think it's important to talk about that more openly. Again, this to me is another COVID silver lining, which I think we've allowed ourselves to see something that has been there for a very long time, which is that many of us are having mental health conditions or mental health symptoms and maybe silently not saying anything. But the, over the last year, I have been absolutely, I think, touched by the fact that people are asking, how are you? Uh, and that authentic answers are okay. Like, I'm not doing that great today, or the last hour was really hard. Uh, I need to take Friday off for myself. I need some downtime. And so I hope that that will continue for all of us to realize that we need to take care of ourselves. And that looks different. I'm not saying that looks the same for all of us, but we do recognize that um, the other COVID-19 crisis actually is mental health. And we will see this sort of blast zone effect, which is um, over the next year and two years, uh, we expect that the uncertainty of coming out of the pandemic, uh, which we hope to be seeing, will be equally as stressful as being in it. So I'm not here to say that, uh, you know, to, to be the person to scare people but instead, it's almost like permission. It's permission to say, yes, it's been hard over the last year. Yes, I am a person with a mental health disability and I am blind and low vision. Um, and I want to see organizations make sure that we're talking about that. Okay, but let's get real. Technology has a dual role to play, right? Uh, we know that technology is like ubiquitous in our lives. And we love that because it gives us access. It allows us to do the things we want, be connected with our people. Um, but that always being on can increase symptoms of anxiety and depression. And if you're somebody like me who lives with a permanent mental health condition, that pressure to kind of always be connected actually can make my symptoms worse. 
And so we do have to be intentional about the way that we not only use technology, but the way the technology is developed. And so, you know, I've been really pleased to see that there's this rise of digital well-being. Um, I see it in several companies, uh, you know, currently today, where we're beginning to think, you know, set time limits, make sure you know how long you've been on your device, Um, you know, be able to really be thoughtful about when and how you disconnect. So I want to talk about just a few of the the mental health um, applications or or tools that we have at Microsoft. Um, But first of all, uh, you know, I I say that we only are capable of doing this work because we are getting feedback from the community. Um, So if you're interested in doing uh, research with us, we have the Accessibility User Research Collective, which is a collaboration with the Shepherd Center, which is a rehabilitation hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. We're over a thousand people strong. Uh, We do all kinds of projects from, hey, I've got this cool idea. Uh, What is the unmet need of somebody that we're not addressing? All the way to, can you actually send an email on Outlook, on your mobile device, when you're on public transportation with your guide dog. (laughs) I know that's overly specific, but really, I mean, is this working in your daily life? And if it's not, then we've got to figure out how to make sure that it does. Um, Everybody gets paid $50 an hour. Uh, I'm deeply passionate about the fact that the disability community not volunteer their time to ensure that products just work for them. We are like any other user researcher or any other participants out there. Um, So please do, uh, if you want to get involved, please go and sign up today. There's a number of very interesting projects going on, again, across different types of technology, across different types of disabilities. Um, But it is, again, one of those ways in which we bring in the voice of our customers into this company because we can't do it without you. But let's turn to a couple of tools that personally I, I use Uh, and I think are really important. Um, One of them is called Viva Wellbeing. Used to be called My Analytics. So if you've heard me talk about that before, it's a rebranding. Everybody likes a new name. Um, But I think it's interesting to sort of look at some of the statistics before I talk about the functionality, which is that 70% of professionals like never unplug from work, right? Um, 87% of people are like reading emails after hours on weekends while you're on vacation. Now that can be great because you can be connected with people, but at the same time, be thoughtful about actually ramping it down and really thinking about getting that downtime. I have to admit, I'm one of the 30% of people that checks my email inbox before I even get out of bed. I don't put my feet on the ground. I go straight to my phone. Um, And so I'm really trying to change my habits and really think about how I create better boundaries for myself, Um, not only between work, um, but really uh, my whole life. Um, There's no work Megan and home Megan. There's just Megan. Um, And so it's about finding that rich balance between what feeds you, what helps you get downtime and self-care, and then how do you engage in the activities that you love? And that might be work or school or gaming or, you know, community service. I mean, you you name it. 
Um, and so Aviva Wellbeing can do a couple of things that I think are really critical. And one of them is just tracking mood over time. So you can set it to ask you, how are you doing? And it has, you know, like a five point scale, like today I'm neutral, you know, or maybe today I am doing really, really well because I was pretty excited about coming and talking to all of you. Even though we're not in person, I can feel you on the other end of the line. Um, so really thinking about how does my mood and my activities really come together so I can understand a little bit more about myself. So personal reflection, I think, is important. And then we also have headspace integration. So I don't know if you're a meditator out there. I will say I was not a meditator previously, um, but I've been going through some of their programs and they can be short, like three minute. It's like, take a break, close your eyes, breathe. And it's incredible how that can renew and regenerate the system. We also have my Cortana emails. Um, I strive to have good habits, but sometimes don't always nail it. Uh, so now using AI, you get an email. Um, it will say, do you want me to go into your calendar and book you time to focus? Takes 23 minutes on average to refocus after looking at any other application, right? You may be in a Word document and you pop over and look at, um, you know, a chat on uh, on your phone or on your computer, 23 minutes. Um, it can also say things like book breaks. Those are important. We have to stand up. We have to stretch. We have to think about how we're making sure that we're getting a little bit eating, drinking water, uh, you know, stretching our bodies. There's lots of different ways in which we can engage in self-care. And even things like learning, right? Um, you know, I want to learn a new skill set. So I'm going to get into my calendar, make sure that's blocked. Nobody can uh, put anything over the top of that, whether that's at work or whether that's friends and family who want to get together, because that's my hour of learning. So again, I just, I, it sounds so simple, but I think it's really powerful in being intentional, being intentional about the way that you use your time. And for me, it's been helpful to have my Cortana, like my buddy, um, really think about how they set my schedule. I also think that it's, you know, to just to turn to work for a moment, um, thinking about burnout. I know this year I experienced burnout pretty badly. Um, early on, I, you know, I, I've been working from home now for 18 months and um, I came downstairs and it was like literally like 10 hours after I'd started the day. It was still in my pajamas. I hadn't really eaten anything and, you know, my husband said to me, I, you know, it seems like your work-life balance is off. And I literally just broke into tears. And I said, but you don't understand. If I don't look like I'm always on, if I don't answer emails within minutes, I'm going to be the first one to get fired. Um, and that was a hard realization that, that I had allowed myself to recognize that self-care, making sure I was at my best, um, was actually the way that I performed well at work. Um, so that's just a personal story about how burnout really affected me. So I take time off one, very important. I set boundaries. So I don't, I, I really don't go back online on Friday nights and Saturdays. Those are personal time with my family. Um, and I'm really thoughtful about what kinds of tasks I do when I'm in certain, like if I'm really focused, great, like go create that new, you know, story that you want to get out. Um, now you guys might laugh, but when I am in a place where I'm having a hard time concentrating, like email is my friend. I love it. You like open it up, you read it, you answer it, you put it away. 
it's like this lovely little container activity for me. I know many other people find email to be very stressful, but you know, it's like finding your patterns that really work for you so that you feel successful, so that you feel like you're accomplishing, so that you see the value that you bring because value actually really is uh, experienced within inside ourselves. Um, last few things before we open it up, um, which is just, again, to remind everybody that we do have the Disability Answer Desk, um, free IT support. We're available 24 hours via chat. We're connected through Be My Eyes, um, which is a great way to uh, to make sure that you, if you have Be My Eyes on your phone already, then you can use it to connect to the Disability Answer Desk. We also have American Sign Language um, and um, are available in over 16 different markets and languages. Um, if you're here today representing a company, uh, small, medium, large, NGO, any organization, we also have the Enterprise Disability Answer Desk. Um, and so that's really for, uh, you know, more of an IT professional um, who is looking at rolling out tools more broadly to a group of people. If you have a question, don't wait, don't get stuck, don't get angry, just call. It's, well, I, it's not a call, it's an email. Uh, the, the team is incredibly responsive. This is like the most deeply technical and informed disability team, I think, at, at Microsoft. It, it, it's just brilliant. And honestly, if you do find bugs, which happens, they have the ability to make sure that goes straight into engineering so that we can make sure that things get fixed. Uh, so again, I, it, you know, <laughs> I ask you, don't stop giving the feedback. Please continue to make sure that we understand what your user experience is like. Now, maybe today you have said, wow, this is really interesting. I've learned something maybe new about another disability category like mental health. Um, if you're interested in thinking about more broadly disability, we've got actually a really cool course called Accessibility Fundamentals. It's for any individual or, or, or an organization uh, to say, no, we want to instill. We want to make sure that people understand disability inclusion, and that means disability across the spectrum, as well as what it really means to make accessible tools. So I love this as a way to make sure everybody in an organization is on, you know, has that foundation. Um, I've taken it, I think, two times, and I always learn some, something new. I will admit I am a lifelong learner. I just openly admit that there are always going to be things that I do not know. Um, and so leaning in to, to find those places and uncover them, I, I think is really fun. Um, so I encourage you, accessibility fundamentals. Okay, now I'm going to encourage everybody to take one really good deep breath with me because you've all been listening for about 45 minutes. Um, so here we go, deep breath. Oh, this is the beginning of the conference week. Do not forget to simply breathe. It really uh, it sends signals to the nervous system to relax and actually brings in oxygen to, uh, to help you pay more attention. So if you find yourself like lifting a little bit in a session, just take three really good deep breaths and it helps bring back that focus and bring down anxiety. And so with that, um, I open it up to questions. Lucy. Thank you very much. All right. Donna Browning, you can unmute. Hello. Um, you mentioned that the help desk is a chat. Uh, do you not have the um, 800 phone number anymore? No, no, no. I'm so sorry. It is. It's, you can call. You can chat. We have ASL <laughs> available through Be My Eyes. No, we have many different ways to uh, contact us. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that we're still 
up and um, at them because I have used them. They didn't solve the problem, but I just want to make sure that was still there. It's still there, Donna. I know. Isn't it great to be able to actually be able to call somebody and hear another voice? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I, I prefer that for me, the, ch- the chat would be too stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm similar as you. Okay, Beth. Hi, guys. Thank you so much. This is great. I have a question about... Uh, what I call a shell over windows. I use Ceratex products. It's called Cero, S-E-R-O. And they have their own, um, they have email, they have notes, they have a whole bunch of different things. It's the company is Cerotech. Now they're NUMA Solutions, P-N-E-U-M-A. They've rebranded. But I was wondering, there, there can never be too many of these. Uh, as I say, they're called shells. They have, they have different applets i guess you'd say like email and and notes and maybe a word processor there's another one um oh what's the name of it i can't remember offhand but it's have you guys ever thought of of doing anything like like that thank you you know that's a really great question beth and i uh, to be honest with you i I don't have the answer so um the two two thing two things that i would recommend which is one join um jeff petty's session um he is deeply technical and can tell you sort of what they're thinking about in terms of operating systems and shells or call the disability answer or yeah call the disability answer desk and pose the question and we'll make sure that we get that back to you thank you for asking though todd you can unmute First of all, thank you for the presentation. That was pretty cool. I didn't understand a lot of it, but one thing that really tickled my fancy was this. Is uh, Xbox really available for blind people, and can a blind person really play games on it? And if so, how would we go about it? I'm really interested in that. Yeah, gaming, right? Yes, there are several. Um, the, so they have done quite a bit of work to make sure that the uh, navigation system within an Xbox is accessible with a screen reader um, mm-hmm. so that you can adequately uh, find the game that you want to play. And increasingly, we are um, adding titles that are really uh, sound driven. Okay. Um, the question is, can you play a game with the screen reader or not? Yeah. Or not yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so... Again, if you, so our disability answer desk can give you all of the different, they do full support for Xbox. So if you really want to lean in and dig, there's more. But if you also go to Xbox, you know, our Xbox accessibility page, they will provide you with the, with titles and, and be able to instruct you more like exactly, well, how would you play the game? How do you use the screen reader to effectively, um, you know, create actions within the all game? Right. And yep. what screen reader do you use for Xbox? Can, can you choose your own screen reader or does it have to be? Narrator. Narrator works best. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but you know, we are, we, I really honestly pride uh, Microsoft on being an open system. Um, so I, you know, I believe that other screen readers work as well, but really narrator is the best way to go. It's going to provide the most functionality and the best ease of um, use. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Caroline. <laughs> Hi, um, you had, um, touched a little bit on LinkedIn. And I want to go back to that a little bit because, um, okay, so I work with, uh, I do assistive technology training. And the pro- I, I was, um, several months ago, I was providing training to a lady on how to use LinkedIn for business purposes and ran into a situation where the um, settings page is not 
usable with any screen reader because focus will not stay where it needs to stay for interact to interact. I've been in contact with the accessibility desk, but the last correspondence I had from them was three months ago. I just checked the email and it was three months ago. And I don't know who I can go to to, or talk to to get this straightened out because I understand that there's a lot of issues and things, but I'd like to see more priority given to something as important as LinkedIn. Yeah, Caroline, I think that's an an incredibly good point is, you know, LinkedIn um, is diligently working on ensuring that, you know, their platform is accessible. But I think we can all be honest that they still have um, some gaps and some work to, to, to do. Um, the good news is, is that their team is really all in um, and they are working, you know, very diligently to ensure. And I think, you know, going back to what I presented at the beginning of the, of the presentation was our new five-year strategy that had the three pillars, right? So we're investing in technology, uh, we're investing in talent development, and we're investing in workplace culture. And so that, te- you know, that middle piece is saying, you know, we are working even harder with LinkedIn to say, you've got to move faster and get up to speed, because this really is the platform in which people are going to be able, um, you know, to connect with their employers of choice. Um, you know, so that's a promise that we're making is that, you know, we're, we're working even more closely with LinkedIn to make sure that those changes happen as soon as possible. But is there anybody that I can get in contact with about this ticket and move it up a little bit, possibly? I would recontact who you were in contact before. If yeah, yeah, I I will shamelessly say if somebody doesn't get back to me, then I just keep getting back to them. Okay, yeah, because three months is a bit excessive. It's a little long. <laughs> I'm totally with go bug a little bit, poke that one a little bit. All right, thank you. Okay, Diana, you can unmute. Hello. There you are. Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to compliment you for your presentation. Um, also for the color of your lipstick, which is amazing and matches totally your, uh, your blouse, whatever you have on. Um, and uh, well, just to, to reinforce what Caroline just said, I don't use LinkedIn that much. Uh, because it's not really accessible, especially in the mobile devices. So I, I have to rely on my uh, career coach to do some changes for me in any in uh, in platform. So uh, that would be uh, another request from another person <laughs> about LinkedIn. Um, right. My comment um, is um, about what you mentioned about inclusion. Um, you know, it's been very... Um, um, uh, broadly um, uh, talked about uh, lately about inclusion and diversity, but I think you reached the you touched the point is very important. How do you approach it? How do you take inclusion and diversity in any situation? And I think that's a, I like the way you 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 talked about it. So that's what my comment was about. I think that's very important. How do you? Um, approach it and you have to see the individual situations in the context uh, of the, the circumstances or group whatever so thank you so much for your presentation and I enjoyed it very much it's my first conference with the ACB anyway I've never been here before well, well, first of all, welcome. Um, and, you know, I am very passionate about this concept that inclusion is a verb. It is what, what are you doing every single day to create a place in which people with disabilities feel welcome and that they can be their, themselves Um I think we all know we still have work to do, but it, it is about asking yourself and that 
the organization is asking itself that question, like literally every day. Um, yes. So thank you, Diana. All right. Ani. Ani? Yes. Hi. I had a couple of questions. I'm a rehab teacher in Oklahoma City. Um, I, the seeing AI is really a wonderful piece of technology. However, when someone who doesn't have use of their hands um, or fingers due to whatever the illness may be, this particular situation, my client has severe neuropathy, mm-hmm. and so he cannot utilize it. So he tries to do it by you know, trying to um, activate it through voice and then has to find what he needs by touching the screen with his nose. Mm-hmm. Isn't there any way that can be controlled by voice? Can that be something you folks can look into programming to make it easier for somebody like my client? That's, that's number one. Number two, how about, uh, is there any way you can channel seeing AI, maybe with a scanner of some kind uh, where Maybe somebody can uh, finish um, the job application. So, okay, let me go. Let me let me start with the first one, and then I might have a question for you on the second one, which is um, it, it, sometimes I think AI is a little complicated because it seems like magic, but it's really not. It's really just data and algorithms. Um, and so, I would say that Microsoft, along with many other companies, to be honest with you, have um, made huge advancements with, uh, you know, being able to recognize voices and voice to text and, and text uh, to speech and things uh, of that nature. Um, and so, simply the idea of being able to, you know, use your smartphone to input a text message with your voice, right? That is relying on on AI. But when it comes to something more complicated on me, like you're talking about, which is, you know, um, running your whole computer, that's where I would really uh, encourage you to go uh, think about using Dragon, naturally speaking. It's a third-party assistive technology. It works on Windows 11, um, and it will allow a user to essentially use the entire computer with their voice. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting that we've really, you know, been um, investing in is also um, using the computer with your eyes. And so we now have a partnership with Toby Eye Gaze, um, where you can buy about a $150 device. It sits right on top of your Windows 10 machine, and it allows you to, um, you know, to open applications with your eyes, type with your eyes. Um, and so it might actually be yeah. you know, in combination of doing the right. two. Well, the problem is he's also totally blind. So he can't. Oh, well, then voice. Wait, okay. Yeah. Then and, and, right. The other thing is, you know, with the saying, like he wanted to be able to identify his money or identify the color of his clothing when he's getting ready for a doctor appointment. And that's what some of the features on seeing AI that he is interested in using. Hmm. So, so, uh, so let, me, let me make sure I understand. So there is functionality within seeing AI that is very, very useful, but what's challenging is his inability to, um, to point the device within the direction that he wants it? Well, the thing is finding it because he does not have feelings in his hands. And so he has to put the phone uh, somewhere, it won't move on him. And then he has to move his nose because he can't feel the only sensitivity he seems to have is 
uh, you know, tip of his nose. So there's got to be another way where he can utilize those features he's needing without having to, uh, you know, touch the screen with his nose is what I'm saying. The voice activation maybe, or there's got to be something else out there. It's it's such a such a brilliant suggestion, um, and I will pass that along to the CAI team. I don't know exactly what's on their roadmap and what they're coming up with. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're speaking at this conference. So do go see if Seeing AI is giving a presentation. Sorry, I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, but that use case, you know, I, I that's it's very very uh, grounded in what you know in inclusive design, which is really being able to use multiple senses to use an application, right? So use an application with your voice, use an application, you know, with, you know, with touch or with other things. So I love that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. It's, it's brilliant. All right, Kate, you may unmute. Hi. Um, you know, I just wanted to mention two things to that might be helpful for the person who just spoke. And if I missed something that you said at the beginning with regard to, your clients, other possible disabilities. Um, But with some of my students, I've set up shortcuts, um, or we have set up shortcuts so that you can just tell Siri to like launch the, um, like recognize currency or um, recognize short text so that you don't have to um, use your, your finger to go from one channel to the next. And then if you had some kind of stand, maybe that the phone was on, that you could put information below the phone, I it would still probably require some assistance provided by someone else. But that is one more thing that might help to um, make the app a little more usable. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks for that. That those two really helpful tips. So sure. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Area code 919, you may unmute. Hi, this is area code 909. I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. Great presentation in regards to furthering inclusion and accessibility and caring for ourselves as well. I also have had some great experiences with answers from the Disability Answers Desk and had found it very helpful. I've also had an occasion or two where I've had a complex uh, situation in regard to, for example, in Word and the bullets um, and some uh, so ways that the that the individual that I was remoting with from the Display Services Desk also had an issue. Uh, and so definitely, you know, there was the, uh, the forwarding of the information to uh, escalating the ticket. I'm curious, though, hearing that some others have had that experience, that I never received any feedback or if anything was done in, in regard to it. Could you share with us, if you know, how, what is that process that the Disability Answers Desk uses once they receive a ticket in terms of escalating it, or how, does, how, how is it determined if, an, if one ticket is higher priority than another? It'd be helpful, I think, for, for us to have an understanding of how, that process behind the scenes as well. Oh, you've stumped me. Um, I like it when I get stumped. I'm not sure. I'm, I, to, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure what the escalation process looks like once, you know, something has been determined that the, that the, uh, that the agent cannot support, 
Um, but if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I am more than happy to go back and find out and give the answer. I, you're, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, which is what happens be behind the curtain. <laughs> and so for some reason, I'm thinking Wizard of Oz here, which is like, wait a second, like, how does, how does it all happen? And, and to be honest with you, I'm more than happy to go and dig in and learn a little bit more. So yeah, count me in. Okay, <clears throat> we have about eight minutes left. And Glenda, you can unmute. A couple of suggestions, and I don't even know if these exist anymore, but Sip and Puff um, was a technology that people who couldn't physically type or do whatever on on the uh, keyboard. Uh, The other thing was eye movement um, to, to control the, you know, the computer. And I don't, like I say, it's been several years since I've dealt with this stuff, so I don't know what's still out there. But those are a couple of things that came to mind uh, when you were talking. Y'all were talking about the gentleman who could only deal with the screen by nose touch. Yes, yeah, Sipapoff is, is actually agreed, and and maybe that user um, is already using some of that. But yeah, Glenda, I agree with you. Um, There's several different ways to engage with uh, with screens. Although we did know, we do know that he's totally blind, so the eye movement won't work for him. But I'd well, like yeah, that that's true. I, I forgot that. But. <laughs> Thank you, Glenda. Okay, Pam. Yes. Good afternoon, uh, folks. I'm just really curious with reference to. Microsoft and other third-party assistive technology software. Um, there are times I know there are there are certain settings within the Microsoft system that, if a third-party screen reader is used, they're not uh, th- th- those specific settings, as in high contrast and or maybe the Microsoft magnifier. Um, isn't usable with with third party applications. What and uh, I mean third party assistive technology applications. What is Microsoft doing in order to integrate everything as one versus using one uh, versus another? Yeah, it, good question. You guys are asking the best questions. Um, so two two things I would say, Pam. Um, one, which is we continue to invest very, very heavily in our first party assistive technology. Um, we recognize if you haven't used Narrator in a while, uh, please have a look. It's just pretty incredible how far it's come in the last couple of years. Uh, we know that we still have work to do, but, but we're really dedicated to ensuring that, you know, our, our first party technology is um, a delightful experience. The, the second one is that, again, I, I think it's important for people to have choice. Um, and so I think it's important that, uh, you know, Windows 11 continue to support um, third-party assistive technology. And so what we do is we meet with um, the third-party assistive technology community twice a year um, to share our own roadmaps, to co-develop, to make sure that we are closing some of those gaps just as quickly as we can. Um, of course, some of the assistive technology partners are are smaller. Uh, um, and so it may take them a little longer to, to really work through um, the code. Um, but we're very, very diligent. And I would say transparency is, is really important. We, you know, our, our whole goal is to help ensure that the, the AT that is using Windows is fully knowledgeable about where we're at. And the other component, I guess there's three things. Um, 
is that our uh, disability answer desk and our enterprise disability answer desk, if we find that there is a bug or an error, and it's actually on not a Microsoft error, but it's it's a, it's a third-party AT, we will connect with that third-party AT. We will work with their engineers so that they understand what the bug is. Um, so we never just leave it. Um, you know, uh, so, so we've kind of got several avenues that we're continuing to push down so that there are better and better experiences as we move forward. Okay, we've got time for one quick question. Area code 619, ending in 684. Yes, hi. Let me make this very brief. Great presentation. I have lots of questions, but I'm going to winnow it down to one. I think during your presentation, you brought up um, something that sounds interesting. If we want, if we, um, there, a shared collaborative user experience that if we wanted to, um, if we, if we were possibly able to um, become involved in some of the research around disability uh, inclusion? Yes, thank you. Uh, so it is called the Accessibility User Research Collective. I know it's a long name. You'd think I, I would have thought of something shorter. Uh-huh. Uh, we hope that I know, right? Uh, the A-U-R-C. So if you look that up, it's a very accessible website that will help you sign up um, and you kind of go through a questionnaire where we ask you what kind of technology do you use? So um, that we have a really good idea of, you know, the types of projects that would be, um, you know, great for you to get involved in. So again, that's the Accessibility User Research Collective. Um, and everything is done remote, so it doesn't matter where you live. Um, that is another COVID silver lining. We can do this work no matter what. Um, so we would, I really highly encourage everybody, um, if you're interested, to join that community. And then you also get quarterly uh, newsletters um, that give you sneak peeks into what Microsoft is doing and new um, assistive technology updates that are coming out. So it's also, um, you know, a, a group of folks that's constantly communicating. Okay, very quickly, just let me give the ending CEU code. That is 97858. Again, 97858. Okay, Megan. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Um, And again, you know, please uh, do consider joining some of the more technical sessions. You guys had great technical uh, questions that I know will be able to be answered by my engineering colleagues. Um, We are very thrilled to be leaning in and thinking about our next five-year strategy that focuses on technology, uh, talent development, our own workplace. And please do not forget to take care of each and every one of yourselves. Um, And with that, have a brilliant conference and a great end to your day. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you.